This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. These passages occur immediately after the events of Pentecost, where the disciples have been hiding away in that upper room after Jesus has been crucified and raised and promised to send the Holy Spirit to empower them. And as they're hiding away, the Holy Spirit breaks in and lands on their head in tongues of fire, giving them the power to proclaim the gospel in the native language of all the nations that have come to Jerusalem for this festival. And as they go out proclaiming the gospel in all these different languages that they had not previously been able to speak, some in the crowd think that they're a little tipsy at 10 a.m. So Peter rises to their defense and preaches the first sermon in the Gospel of Acts that kicks off the birth story of the church. And this is the very end of Peter's sermon. Hear now the good news. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, When the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And Peter testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, who brought forth water from the rock, wine from that living water, allow us now in these moments to draw some out, to drink deeply, that we too might see and believe. Amen. There's something in the water. This is an interesting uh, phrase or saying that we often use to explain those things that don't really have any good explanation. Like, why are people in the South so polite all the time? Something in the water. Why do people from Texas have such big egos and an obsession with cowboy boots? Something in the water. Why are people up North so mean and impatient when they're driving? There's something in the water. It's that saying we use when we want to explain that which is not fully explainable. And what a better phrase to use when talking about baptism. Baptism. There's something in the water. And we can't quite fully explain it. But we can say a few things about baptism. Amanda started off last week by saying that in baptism we are initiated into Christ's holy church. That when we are marked with those baptismal waters, we are marked as one of God's own. 
Just as in the Gospel of Mark at Jesus' baptism when the heavens were ripped apart and the voice came down from heaven and said, Behold, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. When each one of us are baptized, that same voice from heaven comes down to witness to us and to all present in the congregation, Behold, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. This is my child. You are mine. This is a member of the body of Christ. You are initiated into Christ's holy church. You belong here. But in baptism, we are also incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. We say this phrase each time we use the baptismal liturgy. And when we think a little bit about it, we can recognize that long before any of us were ever baptized, God has been at work. God has been at work long before any of us were ever even born, leading people through the water into salvation. There's something in the water, and I think that something might be God. There's an old African-American spiritual that witnesses to this deep truth and reality. I want to teach it to you this morning, so this is going to require some participation, okay? I'm going to sing it for you once and then invite you to join me the second time, and we'll use it as sort of a refrain this morning. It goes like this. Wade in the water, wade in the water, children, wade in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. Sing it with me. Wade in the water. Wade in the water, children. Wade in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. The song was used by people like Harriet Tubman to lead and shepherd runaway slaves to freedom through the Underground Railroad. She used this song to teach them things like when you are running away, wade through the water rather than walk on land because it throws people off your trail. She also used this song to point people towards those freedom markers like the Ohio River that was the boundary line between slave states and free states across which runaway slaves must wade and when they walked out on the other side they would be in freedom's land. But it witnessed to even a much deeper truth than that. It witnessed to God's work in the troubled waters of life. Howard Thurman wrote that for the slaves, the troubled waters are the ups and the downs, the vicissitudes of life. That when we see a storm approaching, we ought not shrink from walking into it, but ought to boldly and confidently walk into the choppy seas of life. Because although they are troubled, stormy waters, they are also healing waters. Because God is ultimately the one at work troubling those waters. When we wade into these waters of baptism, we find that God is indeed at work. And when we spend some time thinking about it, we realize that God has long been at work troubling the waters of chaos to bring about new and abundant life. Wade in the water, wade in the 
children wade in the water, God's gonna trouble the water. In the beginning, when the earth was a formless and shapeless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, the Spirit of God swept over the waters of chaos, troubling them up. And God spoke. And out of those troubled waters of chaos, God spoke forth light and life into the world. God troubled the waters of chaos into creation. Out of the waters of chaos, God brought forth us. And indeed, it was very good. Wade in the water, wade in the water, children, wade in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. In the days of Noah, God looked down on creation and God's heart was deeply grieved. For he saw that the waters of chaos had again infected the earth, plaguing the earth with violence and the human heart with evil, and that only continually. And so as the floodgates of heaven opened up to rain forth floods that would cover the face of the earth, God saved Noah and his family and creation in the safety of an ark. In that ark for 40 days and 40 nights as they were moved back and forth on those chaos waters that flooded the earth, God led them through the waters in safety. And at the end of those 40 days and 40 nights, perhaps just as Noah was beginning to think that he might spend the rest of his life in those flooding waters of chaos, the Spirit of God in the form of a dove brought forth a sign of new and verdant life promising that being led through those flood waters, Noah and creation would be given new and abundant life with one another, with creation, and in covenant with God. Wade in the water, wade in the water, children, wade in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. In the days of Moses, God again looked down on creation and was grieved when he heard the cries of his people crying out from oppression and slavery in Egypt. And hearing their cries, God raised up Moses, who himself had been carried in his own ark through to safety through the treacherous waters of the Nile as an infant have been drawn out of those waters by Pharaoh's daughter, raised as a foreigner in a foreign land until God called him to be the one to lead God's people out of slavery and into freedom's land. But they came to the boundary of the great Red Sea, that great uncrossable barrier. But God made a way out of no way. God parted the rivers of the sea and allowed God's people to pass through the waters walking through on dry land, taking them from slavery to freedom and an intimate life lived in union with God. And their children, a generation later, through the leadership of Joshua, God would again lead through the waters as they crossed the river Jordan into the promised land, which would be for them life 
life abundant, lived in communion with God. Wade in the water, wade in the water, children, wade in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. In the fullness of time, God sent his only son, Jesus the Christ, who was nurtured in the water of his mother's womb, was baptized by John in that same river, Jordan, walked on the seas, stilled the raging storms with a touch of his hand and a word from his mouth, turned water into wine to celebrate that great wedding festival, and was himself that well of living water from which springs rivers of eternal life from which all who believe may drink and never be thirsty again. This Jesus, the Christ, called disciples. He called them from a life of fishing on the seas to a life of fishing in the nations. He called them to share in his own baptism of suffering, death, and resurrection. He called them to go to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, inviting all people to wade into and pass through those waters so that they might enter into new life, abundant life with God. Wade in the water, wade in the water, children, wade in the water, God's gonna trouble the water. When we come across Peter in our scripture reading from Acts today, that is exactly what he is doing. He is witnessing, proclaiming the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. He tells them, this Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, God has made him both Savior, Messiah, our Redeemer, and Lord. Jesus the Christ voluntarily waded into that great storm of crucifixion so that he might once and for all trouble the waters of sin and death, so that all people might be welcomed to God, might wade into those waters and share an abundant life lived with God. And the crowd is cut to the heart, and they ask Peter and the disciples, what are we to do? And Peter answers them with that call to conversion that echoes through the ages and touches each one of our hearts still today. Repent and be baptized, each one of you. Peter gives this invitation. He says, wade on into these waters. Enter into Christ's death so that you might share in Christ's life. Baptism is sort of a strange act, isn't it? I don't mean like the sprinkling that we do in a lot of Methodist uh, churches often, but like the full immersion type baptisms. The act of, of holding someone's nose closed, the place where they get oxygen, and plunging them down, fully immersed into a body of water. That in itself is an act of death, is it not? If baptism ended there, that would be an act of death. That symbolizes for us our own dying with Christ. But that's not the end of the baptismal act. 
For after we have been plunged into those waters, we are pulled out again, risen with Christ to be a new creation. The practice in the ancient church was to cover the baptismal candidates after they had been pulled from the water in a pure, clean, white robe to symbolize them being clothed with Christ, putting on the new man, being covered with Christ and raised with Christ. You see, these baptismal waters aren't here to drown us. They're here to give us new and abundant life with God. For when we enter into our baptismal waters, we become a part of the troubling that God has been working in the waters since the very beginning of time. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. Our baptism, our washing, and the new birth become a part of the saving action that God is doing in the world. And it invites us to participate with God in bringing these saving and healing waters to the rest of the world, inviting them to wade on in with us. You see, as we wade into our baptismal waters, I think we find that often, like the Ezekiel vision that Steve read earlier in the service for us, that it gets deeper and deeper the further out we go. What begins as a trickle in the temple begins to lap at our ankles until it has risen to our knees and we have waded into the waist. But then we go out deeper still until the water is up to our neck and we have realized that the trickle in the temple has grown to a river so deep the only option is to swim. It's a river that can't be crossed on foot and yet God calls us deeper still. Brothers and sisters, the invitation is yours. God calls to you, God beckons you to wade into your baptismal waters, to wade in until it splashes at your ankles, until it's risen to your knees, until you've waded into your waist, and he says, go deeper still. Keep wading in until the water is at your neck, and you can walk no more. And when you have gone thus far, go deeper still. Dive in and swim deep in the waters of your baptism. For God's going to trouble the waters. Thanks be to God. Amen.